history shows that the venture returns are there, um, especially for those that are willing to take the risks in the harder markets. It's a great time to raise capital. Really, the question is how to do it smartly. On this episode, we talk about raising capital on terms that are less than ideal. When a startup is trying to raise money under difficult conditions, the terms being offered by investors can be a bit onerous. How does a startup founder navigate this? What are the important safety tips? Joining me today are venture capitalists Danielle Diagastaro and startup attorney Louis Lowe. Louis came up with a title for this episode, The Art of the Belly Flop. I'm Brent Waters. I've been in Silicon Valley my entire life, immersed in the world of entrepreneurship, innovation, and venture capital. I run a startup accelerator program named Fourthly. This is the Fourthly Podcast. Today, we have two amazing guests to talk about this stuff. The first up is Danielle. Morning, Danielle. Hi, Brett. Thanks for having me again. Give uh, give us the brief backgrounder on you. Yeah. So uh, I'm a partner at a fund called WVV. It's a $100 million fund based in Silicon Valley in the Midwest. Um, we are backed by four corporates. So we work with Johnson Controls, Foxconn, Advocate Aurora Health, which is a large health system, and Northwestern Mutual. And so between the four of them, uh, we make early stage investments in companies um, that may be able to work with any one of those LPs either now or in the future. And prior to that, um, where I met you, of course, is when I was building an accelerator called the Alchemist Accelerator, which is an early stage B2B accelerator based in Silicon Valley. So I, and I spent seven years doing that uh, as uh, the managing partner and COO. Uh, so yeah, I've been in and around for the last 10 years, I guess. Uh, it's gone by quickly, but good stuff. So 10 years. So that means you were nine when you started. Is that right? <laughs> Don't give it away. <laughs> and also here with us is Louie. Louie, is your, is your audio work? We got you there now, Louie. There we go. Okay. There we go. Uh, technology challenged lawyer, Louie Lowe. <laughs> Great to have you both. Uh, I am a, a groupie of Brett's, not just at the, the taco stand, but uh, in life. Uh, and, and Danielle, I've had the pleasure of knowing and, and working with, and uh, it's just a delighted uh, to have you all. And, um, you know, as Brett and I uh, were talking about how to put together some content that would speak to our, our audience of startup founders, um, we're, we're, we're really having to come to, to, to terms with the fact that we are in a new world uh, since a year ago. And we want to set the stage that um, we're not going back. Uh, uh, we're going to go forward and it's, it's not going to be all bad. It's going to be good. Uh, but we thought we would ha try and have, uh, a conversation about what's really happening with cap tables and term sheets and new financings, and hopefully give you some advice about how to think through it and get ready. Um, because sooner or later, we're all going to be there raising funds, uh, again, Brett. So, so Louis and Daniel, I, I had the experience a few years ago, um, at a startup, uh, I raised a $5 million first round on terms that I was pretty happy with. I gave away 20% of the company for $5 million bucks, and uh, terms were decent. And I was pretty happy. And uh, then a couple of years went by. We did not hit our numbers, and the fundraising environment changed pretty dramatically. And so I ended up having to raise a second round just to stay alive. I had to raise a second round kind of on whatever terms I was offered, uh, which was at a much lower valuation than I was hoping, uh, 2x, 2x liquidation preferences, and the dreaded full ratchet. Uh, 
Mm. And um, and when we finally sold that company, and I, of course I considered it a win that we found a buyer for the company and sold the company. Uh, and my final distribution check was $83. <laughs> and so my goal here today is to serve as a cautionary tale for others. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, you know, as Louis kind of alluded to, it's definitely a different fundraising environment today than it was a year ago. You know, a year, a year ago, the entrepreneur kind of had all the leverage and the entrepreneur could set the terms. And today it's kind of reversed. Uh, even though there's still a whole lot of money out there, there's no shortage of, of capital available waiting to be deployed. But the market conditions are such that it's often being deployed under, um, um, under terms that are much less favorable to the uh, to the entrepreneur. So the two of you are you know, very much on the front lines, much more on the front lines than I am these days. Danielle, you're busy meeting with entrepreneurs and doing financing. And Louis, you're, you're busy uh, handling a lot of financing for startups throughout Silicon Valley. So maybe we can start just kind of with what you're, what you're seeing right now and you know, to what extent is it different than a year ago? Danielle, you wanna go first on that? Yeah, sure. Um, I, I feel like I've been uh, having this conversation a lot with folks just because it's been the same for everyone um, in, in the VC world, um, especially for the stage that we do, um, which is seed series A. Um, so I, I, I like to frame it in this kind of way, you know, everything was was going pretty, pretty ridiculous in terms of valuations, um, you know, up until maybe January even. And then we got this point where we were all coming back from the holidays. We thought things were going to continue, but then everyone got COVID. <laughs> if you remember, there was that wave of, you know, COVID three, I don't know, um, come January. And then we're like, okay. So then we came back in February, March. And we're like, all right, we're ready to go. It's springtime, usually a busy time for VCs. Uh, but then the war happened and then inflation started, you know, happening. And and everyone just took a pause to kind of see where the ma macro environment would lead, and that actually, you know, fell into the private markets in in a good way, I think. Um, but it adjusted the the valuations back down, and so we've been seeing that you know that adjustment happen through through you know a few last few months. Um, but then everyone went away for the summer, and yeah. so here we are in September. Right. Uh, I think finally in a better environment where investors feel like they're getting a good deal again, um, but founders are in a hard spot because maybe they raised on really high terms recently, yeah. um, you know, and they're taking down rounds or they realize that, you know, um, they're not going to be able to hit their numbers uh, against the valuations they did raise at. And so now they're having to come up with exit strategies before maybe they, they thought they wanted to. And so right. that's, it, it's, it's definitely been, let's say a slow year, uh, for a lot of VCs. I know people, I, I know there have been deals done. Um, but a lot of us have just been kind of waiting and seeing, uh, how the markets would even out. And I think we're finally at that point. And we have, as, as you put it right we have capital to deploy. Uh, and so I think uh, there's going to be a lot more movement um, this fall. Um, and by fall, I mean this month and next month, maybe into November, uh, because yeah. then everyone leaves for December. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
So the, as many in our, in our audience probably know, there's a running joke in Silicon Valley that you can't, there's no way to raise money in August because all, <laughs> all, all of the venture capitalists are gone in August. And then as Danielle said, then they leave again in December. <laughs> so we've got a, we've got a 90 day period here now where the, uh, uh, you know, where the checkbooks may be open. Louie, what are you seeing out there? You know, I think different than than prior corrections, because notice I didn't say recession, we are at a time where there are funds out there, you know, institutional funds, Sand Hill Road, Soma funds, corporate venture funds, um, and, and all sorts of sovereigns uh, and financial mm-hmm. institutions that are doing direct investing. And there is more capital that has been earmarked for venture than ever before. Than ever before. So that's the sure. good news, number one. Yeah. Good news, number two, is returns have been fantastic uh, for, for this asset class. And so um, we are not hearing any of our venture funds hearing from their own limited partners, hey, pull back, we don't want you to spend, don't call our capital. We are not hearing that. Yeah. Uh, quite the contrary. Uh, LPs are wondering, where are my returns? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so um, that's that's also good news. I'd also say that there are there are a class of new funds um, who are not what I'll call you know bared down by you know the high valuations of of prior uh, years where you know things might might not produce the best results, and so I think that this really should be a golden time to create a startup and build. Um, we're also in a time where the government has deployed more capital to innovation than ever before. Just two days ago, you know, our president announced the moonshot and devoted more cash towards it. We've got the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, um, which is earmarking a lot of funds to clean energy and, and obviously the CHIPS Act. Uh, so we, we may have a chip industry again in, in Silicon Valley. So, again, a golden time. Uh, so that's the good news. Uh, the bad news is, Brett and, and Danielle, as we all know, that starting in January, the market started anticipating, uh, you know, seeing and then seeing inflation and anticipating more inflation and thus interest rate increases and more and more and more. And just yesterday, <clears throat> there was just a rout in the public markets <laughs> as uh, some unfortunate inflation data for the month of August got published. And, you know, things are not slowing down. Employment data is, is, is still showing that it's uh, the great resignation of quiet quitters means that, you know, we just can't get enough staff to, to, to get going. Brett and I always say this is happening in high resolution, folks. Uh, so whereas when Brett did the startup, he mentioned, you know, funding rounds happened, you know, two or three years apart. Um, today, I think fund, you know, funding happens every year. And so, um, uh, you know, we're, we're, it's time to deal with it now. Uh, you know when you're going to be raising. It's not going to change. And so you have a couple of choices as I see it. And, and the first is, um, do you uh, do a convertible note bridge round, which is what Brett probably did all those years ago. It probably has a two to five X liquidation preference. It has a ratchet. It's ugly. Um, let's not go there. But that's probably what your venture investor would like to do because they, they get a nice uh, bump. Um, what we're seeing a lot of startups do is just like what they've been doing. They say, well, let's raise a safe round. And the first thing I want to tell you is if you've raised equity, your safe is subject to uh, the uh, preemptive rights. It's a convertible security, most likely, in your in your equity docs that is subject to a, a preemptive for your existing investors. So you have to offer it to everyone. Um, the cap may be lower uh, than your last round. And then what do you do? Uh, do you just let it go and figure the anti-dilution will be dealt with 
when you convert later? Uh, or, or, um, or do you extend the existing round? We're seeing lots and lots of extension rounds. I, I put a blog post out about this yesterday uh, about how people are saying, you know what, let's not even talk about safe because there might be a discount or a cap. Let's just say, hey, we're reopening the last round, same terms. You're going to get last year's valuation. Isn't that great? Mm-hmm. Uh, and investors might think that's terrific because uh, the company would have progressed and yet they're getting the same price. It sounds really good, except... Um, you know, if valuation has gone down, well, that's maybe not the best deal. Uh, so, so obviously the other alternative is to do a down round where you, you actually raise equity at a lower price. They're, they're, the anti-dilution protections for the prior investors are going to kick in unless they waive them. Um, you know, people ask me all the time, what does that look like? And I say, don't even go there. Nobody's waiving their anti-dilution rights. So, Brett, I, I've kind of laid out what I see as the meat and potatoes of what are the choices uh, when you need money uh, and um, uh, you've, you've raised some capital and, and what are the consequences? Yeah. Thanks for that, Louie. As Louie and Danielle were talking about the current uh, state of things, this is very stage dependent. So you guys correct me if I'm wrong, but from what I've seen, later stage is, is definitely slowed down, whereas early stage is still cooking along. Is that approximately what you guys have seen too? I'm seeing late stage uh, running very smoothly across oh, my desk. Okay, uh, and, and they, uh, got a double not, unicorn just two days ago. So, ah, but there's not much of an IPO window right now, and so that's so. True. So for later stage, you know, the, the kind of the path to liquidity mm-hmm. is very unclear. Whereas, you know, early stage, the time horizon's long enough that we're less concerned about the path to liquidity right now. Yeah, I'm curious to see if we will have an IPO market in the fourth quarter. The information put out a guide to the to the 40 companies that are in the queue, and, and yeah. it looks pretty good. I mean, yeah. you've still got Stripe out there, uh, yeah. some really great names that should trade really well. Right. We can right. get them yeah, out. I saw that. I saw that, too. Uh, by the way, a little plug for for uh, for Jessica Lessons, uh, The Information. It's a great publication. Um, it costs a bunch of money, but I think you can get a free trial or something. So uh, check it out and check if you go to theinformation.com, check out what Louis is talking about. They've got an IPO pipeline of all the all the different companies that they believe are kind of in the IPO pipeline and where they are in that process, which is pretty interesting. So, um, you know, Danielle, when you guys have uh, partner meetings, um, you know, do you you know do you talk about the ways in which you may be adjusting term sheets in the current uh, in the current environment, or not necessarily. I mean, we we don't. I, all of our LPs are also investors, and so they're also seeing it on their end as well, yeah. um, and and have a good idea about you know the trends. Um, you know, if anything, we we discuss um, negotiations. Uh, you know, things things that we have more leverage now than we did maybe, right. you know, a year ago. Right. Um, right. But is that mostly to show up then on, on, uh, on the valuation? It's, it is, it's definitely, it's definitely around the valuation. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, we're, we, I, I mean, at the end of the day, you want to, for founders, you want to find an investor that's going to be a good partner to you, not someone who's looking to take advantage of you. Um, you know, and so if they are, if they are just, I mean, it depends on your situation. If this is your, you know, last hope, um, then you're kind of stuck in a hard place, but, 
hopefully you've had a chance to get a couple of term sheets and see the different terms and and find a you know a good partner um, that's that's not putting in all these excessive terms on you so you can actually build a big business. Yeah, right. Always, as always, you want to be in a position where you you know where you're looking at two or three different term sheets and deciding yes. on the one that's the best fit for you. Mm-hmm. It's just like dating, Danielle. <laughs> it's just like dating, Brett. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe worth a word about some of the new terms that you ought to be on the lookout for. Yeah, um, we're seeing uh, liquidation preferences uh, being more than one x the original mm-hmm. issue price uh, across the board. So, what does this mean? Well, when you invest equity, um, normally the preferred is going to get its money back before everyone else one time upon a sale or an IPO or uh, any kind of conversion. And a lot of investors are saying, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to stretch to this valuation that you've asked me for, but I'm really stretching. And so I, and I need to make sure I get my money back, but I also need to make money. And so rather than just get my money back, I need to get my money back two times before you, the founders get your money. And so a 2x liquidation preference I'm finding is creeping its way into a lot of early state, earlier stage uh, term sheets, and it's absolutely in late stage term sheets. So all of these late stage, you know, big deals are, are absolutely having uh, multiples of lick pref at, at, you know, two, two and a half X. Right. And just to, just to really put a fine point on what Louis is saying, if you were to raise $5 million, for example, at 2x liquidation preference, that means that when the company is sold or wound down, that the first $10 million goes to those investors before a nickel goes to any of the employees or founders. It's a super important concept to, to keep in mind. And the difference between 1x, 1.5x, 2x is pretty substantial. Right? And, and I, I want to give the antidote to those founders out there. Um, you know, the antidote can be that you also have a management uh, carve-out plan such that the first 20% or some percentage of the sale of the company goes to management. And you can put that in later when there's actually a sale going on to make sure that the founders do get something and not, yeah, something more than 83 bucks in a taco. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a margarita. Maybe a margarita as well. Right? <laughs> so, so we, we so there's a, founders a lot on, on those right, kinds right. of things. And I, and I think it's important to think through all of these things before you go out there because um, when you talk to somebody like Danielle or Brett or myself, you know, we can look at a cap table and, and your, your recent results and kind of guess uh, what that's going to look like when you have a conversation and, and coming out in a very realistic um, way when you talk to an investor goes miles. Uh, the, the first thing to shut them off is, oh, okay, you raised at, at that valuation last year. Okay, I don't even want to have that conversation. Uh, but if you kind of preempt it with, hey, you know, we, we know things are different and, you know, here's how we're thinking about it, um, you know, a safe with a cap here or, you know, some other antidote, I think, I think you, can, you can really have a better discussion. So one safety tip that uh, Louis just gave us there, which is a good one, is that if you're entering into a financing that is going to be kind of painful for the founders and management with regard to the, their equity, that asking for a management carve out is a potential solution to that, meaning that everybody's going to get diluted, but but a little extra is going to be carved out for management. And usually, you know, my experience is usually those conversations go fine because investors want the management to be highly incented, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, this, you know, if the if the management is crammed down to 
you know, very little equity in the company. That is not in the in investor's best interest. <laughs> yeah. So they're usually open to having a discussion around stuff like that. So Dan asks in chat that he says that uh, he sort of some VCs don't care about small little terms like liquidation preferences. I mean, I think it's pretty standard to have a 1x, 1x liquidation, whether they've in, wait, increased it or not. Again, I, I feel like it depends on the VC, um, whether they think they have the leverage to, or, you know, or or maybe they've just been hit so hard that they're like taking no risk. Um, yeah. You know, I, it's it's interesting because the game of VC is that you are the risk taker, you know, and so there's a line, right? I think that, you know, if you're playing VC like you would venture debt or something, um, then you might want to think about a different business because this is this is how it goes. You know, things are not always going to be easy. The markets are not always going to look amazing, but we have to have faith in that, you know, history shows that the venture returns are there, um, especially for those that are willing to take the risks in the harder markets. A lot of times it doesn't pay off and sometimes it pays off really big. I, I consider this to be a game of luck. <laughs> I wish right. somebody had the like magic wand and knew, you know, oh, this one's going to work and this one. I mean, we all have our things that we look for um, that we think is is the winning combo, but it's, it's everybody's game. And I think, I think uh, another answer to Dan's question is that all of these things end up being negotiated, mm -hmm. right? And so, yeah. you know, as Louis said, you know, maybe at this valuation, they're fine with li with 1x liquidation preferences, which is kind of the standard. I mean, there's always going to be 1x liquidation preferences. You try to really, you know, negotiate hard for high valuation. They may say, I'd be willing to do a higher valuation, but then I'm going to want 2x liquidation preferences. So all of these things end up being parameters that can be negotiating, negotiated in my experience. Is that right, uh, Louis? Absolutely. Let's see. So what are the other, um, Louis, in your experience, so you, you know, you mentioned uh, uh, management carve-outs. I guess, you know, what, so what advice would you give an entrepreneur today who is shopping around for money, you know, and maybe they've got three different term sheets and they're trying to, you know, compare them. You know, how would you prioritize the things that an entrepreneur should really look for? In other, what are what are the really important things in your mind? Uh, well, I think Danielle said it before. You know, first and foremost, this is a relationship, uh, and this is this is going to be your partner in in the business going forward until you sell it. And so, it's got to be somebody that you feel like you have some alignment with in terms of vision, mission, and, you know, where, where you're taking the, the company. And yeah. the second is, you know, that whether, you know, this fund is known for taking up their pro ratas and committing to the company round after round. Um, there are some funds out there, you know, who are not designed to, to, to reinvest in, in the B and the C. They're, they're one and done. Um, and, and those are not necessarily, they, they can be great, uh, syndicate players, but not necessarily lead players. Um, and so I would think about that. Um, I think some VCs can really help you uh, in your business. I'm thinking of, you know, a, a corporate venture, for example, could be a, a channel partner. Uh, it could give you a leg up with a business unit, potentially. Um, lots of health warnings there uh, that we can talk about on another uh, episode, Brett. But uh, so I, I think about that. And then I think on the terms, you know, I like to see a clean term sheet. You know, the, the, the ones with all the, you know, pages of, of uh, extra details uh, or, um, or terrible conditions, uh, I'm, I'm a little bit uh, suspicious of. Um, 
that being said, I, I think you know investors are really trying to stretch to meet the the valuation goals of the founders, and they're trying to put in protections so that you know they're they're you know if things don't go well that they get their money back. And so some of those things I'm finding are a lot of a lot more conditions about diligence, talking to customers um, before they they close. Um, I'm also seeing you know, these, as I said, you know, liquidation uh, preferences at greater than one, or you know, you go into the convertible note of the safe, and I'm seeing more than two x uh, as the return of capital upon a change of control. So, in the form of safe and in most convertible notes, if you sell the company before you convert people in in, a, in an equity financing, they get a two x. Uh, that that's usually you know a reward for having been the capital that led to this you know very risky capital that led to this great outcome, uh, and, and so I'm seeing you know investors look for more than two uh, there, um, and then I'm seeing a lot of control rights, and uh, I, I'm not yet seeing the ratchet um, breath that you you referenced. Good, uh, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, yeah. Not that. and I hope <laughs> never to see it. It's an ugly thing. Yeah. So, Louis, you, you mentioned control rights. Let's talk about that for a second, because um, this kind of this mythology out there. Some people, some people think that um, those damn VCs, what they really want to do is take over my company, and uh, you got to be careful with VCs because you know they just want to take over your company. And of course, in my experience, the last thing a VC wants to do is take over your company. That's just not that's just not the business that they're in. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, that's 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 kind of the worst case scenario is that they have to take over your company. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, they're in the business of, you know, letting other people run the companies and they and the VC gets to profit from the hard work that the that the entrepreneur puts into it. That's mm -hmm. the business that they're in. Exactly. Um, but you know, but you did bring up control rights. So kind of talk a little bit about that, Louis, in terms of again, from a from the perspective of an of an entrepreneur, what are some of the control rights that one might see and how do you think about that? Yeah, so um, the the first right that we see in an equity term sheet will be the the voting rights. Uh, how much of an equity percentage uh, or a vote uh, that they're going to get, and then what specific items are going to require a vote of preferred investors. Um, so you'll have a list there, and then and then secondarily, there may or may be a board director seat or a board observer seat. And in, during the heydays of the boom, we saw a lot of venture investors sort of letting go of that and relying on their relationship with the with the founder uh, to get all of the information rights and to be able to kind of supervise and know what was going on. Um, we're seeing now that that uh, investors are taking pains to to look at what's the board composition, um, it, it, are the founders a majority? Are they not? Um, and and the new investor, you know, making sure that they they have uh, a seat at the table. And then lastly, we we do see um, investors now uh, inserting conditions like, you know, we want you to get a CFO, we want you to get a general general counsel, we want you to hire a head of sales uh, because if you're going to take this money to to grow, we want to see you do that in a methodical way with somebody who has a process and a plan. Um, so those are some of the things that we're seeing. Uh, Brad, I'd be curious, Danielle, uh, what, what's, what's happening in your world in terms of governance? Yeah, honestly, I mean, I'm, I'm listening. You see way more term sheets than I do these days. But, you know, for, for us, I would say that VCs are trying to protect their early stage rights, uh, you know, in the subsequent rounds. I think, I think nothing is guaranteed anymore so you know if you if you got pro rata if you got a board seat 
Um, honestly, it feels like every round is is up for uh, up for debate, and 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 VCs have to fight for the things that were already agreed to. Um, you know, and and it, and it does come down. You know, you would like to think it comes down to the relationship, um, but you know, when it comes to a matter of survival and somebody is dangling, you know, $20 million in your face, uh, sometimes you, you know, it doesn't matter. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, I, I think VCs are, especially for the earlier stage VCs, I, I would say um, the larger funds, uh, they probably don't have this problem, um, right? People want to make sure that they stay happy uh, just because they have deep pockets. But for the smaller funds, um, you know, they, we, we, we still have to, we still have to work at it. Um, and, and we do take our portfolio companies very seriously. We're, we're making sure we give them the attention that they need when they need it. So it really comes down to that. Uh, but, but term sheet wise, um, we haven't seen anything, you know, there was an interesting clause that just came up, which was a, a diversity clause. Um, that was the first time I'd ever heard about that, uh, about, you know, a, a, a lead investor, uh, you know, putting in a, a diversity clause to make sure that there was um, diverse representation, not just with the management team of the of the company, but also with the investor set. Hmm. Um, so that that was interesting. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know if you're seeing any more of anything like that, Louis, but uh, yeah, that, that is something that just recently came up. That is a great point, and Brett, maybe we should do a session on ESG, but uh, the National Venture Capital Association a few years ago uh, really got religion on the fact that uh, venture is has not been historically a very uh, diverse industry and that you know, they had some responsibility uh, to making sure that their portfolio companies were putting some structures in place uh, to do good. And and so um, there is a, a diversity policy that's been in, that National Venture Capital Associations put out and is now in the form term sheet uh, and 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 lots of other what I'll call ESG type of um, types of uh, flavors depending on the the vertical and and the company that they're walking into. Also, anti harassment policies um, and and other things to kind of make sure that that um, things are not going haywire inside the companies uh, once they uh, once they get the money. But I, I wanted to go back to, um, you know, the, this question, Brett, that you asked about what governance rights, you know, what I described was what what you see in an equity deal. And, I, and for a lot of you out there, you've raised a lot of safes. And as we all know, safe is just a simple agreement for future equity. There are no voting rights uh, at all. And um, recently, um, maybe three months ago, I saw a, a side letter that came alongside the safe, and it said, um, "This is great. Your YC safe, and this letter hereby amends it, such that if you haven't converted me in three years, you pay me back at a two x." Oh, um, number one. Number two, uh, it it asked for information rights, uh, which I think is fair game, as these venture investors need to be able to reporting to be to be able to report to their limited partners, and they need financial information in order to do that. And then, you know, I've seen other deals where you get the safe, and of course, there's the pro rata side letter, which says they get a pro rata piece of future safes, but it, but it says I get a board seat, and there here's the voting agreement. Um, so even though I don't have a vote, uh, you promise to vote me on your board. Um, so those are those are some of the things, mm-hmm. the, the increased governance rights that we're seeing venture investors ask for 
when they invest in the super early seed stage or pre-seed stage with a safe uh, or a convertible note, Brett. Like a safe with a note twist. I was going <laughs> to yeah. say, I thought, I thought the whole idea of a safe was to get away from convertible notes, but a safe with a repayment obligation is yeah, a convertible note. Yeah, it's a convertible note. Yeah, that's why it was just like <laughs> sneaky VC. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So uh, Richard asked a good question, which is that, uh, you know, should I just wait until the environment gets better? Yeah, you know, I get that question a lot. And in fact, many in, you know, of my founders will say, oh, yes, I've decided not to go out and, and raise because it's not the right time. And as I said at the outset, this is a golden age uh, to be raising capital. And, you know, every day that you fail to raise the capital to execute on the plan and you fail to execute on, on the plan, somebody else uh, you know, is, is probably, you know, going to be thinking of it if they haven't already and catching up and lapping you. Uh, it, it happens to me frequently. We're all, we're all have been working with a, a great startup, but you know, I don't realize three years have gone by and then suddenly I'll see another startup doing the same thing and I'll say, Oh my gosh, you know, we're not alone anymore. <laughs> uh, so no, I think it's a great time to raise capital, uh, Richard. And I, I think really the question is how to do it smartly. Uh, so that that um, you know you can grow, uh, and maybe it's raising less capital now and and kind of staggering it so that you're taking down capital as you need it, tranching it to the va- so that when you take the capital, you're at a higher value point. But I, I should shut up. What do you think, Danielle? You know, it, it really comes down to the kind of story you can tell. I I would say it is pretty hard still for for founders who go out to the market and. And, you know, we look at how much money you've raised to date and how much ARR you're doing, right, or how much revenue. And so if the numbers aren't lining up, um, I do think there are a little bit more conservative investors out there that are looking for those proof points, you know, some way, shape or form to see, you know, where you where you are. Um, But to your point, I do think that that shouldn't stop you Um, if you need the money or you're going to die, uh, then, you know, you, you've, you've got to make some adjustments. And so, yeah, rethinking your round sizes, being okay with a much lower valuation based off of a real multiple, um, you know, those, those are some things that you need to take into consideration. I also believe, you know, uh, Ivan asked about business lines of credit. I mean, I wouldn't say from an investor, but there are definitely other avenues for raising capital. There is venture debt. There are, you know, there, there are bank loans. Um, there are other types of credit, you know, so look at your options. VC is definitely not the only one, um, to, to, you know, get you over the hump. And you know what, there's, there's no shame in going back to the angel route too, right? Like there, there are people, um, that, you know, may give you smaller checks, but, you know, 25 K here or there, like that, that might give you an, you know, another, another little bit of runway. So, um, Danielle, the question that Ivan asks is a perfect segue for next week's panel discussion (laughs) because next, next week's panel discussion is venture debt. Perfect. And, and and we are seeing an increased, uh, uh, number of venture debt deals right now. And partly because for many companies, it's preferable to a down round. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons we're seeing more venture debt right now is that, uh, is that you know, in the equity markets, you're probably looking at a down round. And so with a venture debt deal, there is no valuation to consider. Louis, yeah, jump, it, jump I mean, that? collateral is, is much 
the collateral options are much better now than they've ever been. Yeah. Um, uh, let me jump in on two points. One is I want to answer Ivan. Um, Non-dilutive capital is the best. Yeah. So you start with the government. What can they give you? We saw what the government could give us in PP with the PPP a couple of years ago. Um, next is, you know, next best. In fact, it may even be better revenues from a customer. And so if you can get a customer to commit on a multi-year deal and pay up front, maybe give them a discount, uh, that's a great way of, of raising capital. I have been seeing some uh, types of angel investors doing these lines of credit. And I would say, be careful. Uh, these things can add up quickly. Uh, and, um, you know, you could lose your company. The, the, the people doing this know what they're doing. You know, they're, they're going to take a security interest. And, and if you have something valuable, they could foreclose. Um, venture debt, you know, I want to just argue with you, Brett, which I love to do. Um, I, don't, <laughs> I don't think venture debt is available unless you have raised venture equity first, uh, number one. Number two, that you have a year of runway in the bank. So if you think you can call up a venture debt lender when you're out of money and say, hey, I need payroll, um, they're not even answering the phone. Um, there is other types of debt, uh, but the, the type that we call venture debt that roams freely around the valley uh, and, and it is, uh, has some conditions. So for about a year now, I've been advising all of my clients who raise equity to look very hard at venture debt and do it right away because the best time to raise capital is when you don't need it. Right. Um, and, and when you don't need it is when people want to lend you money a and a great way of doing that. And I don't want to steal thunder from next week is, um, you know, getting a commitment from them, uh, that for three years, they will lend you the money. You don't borrow it. You do pay a fee for this commitment and then you don't draw it down unless and until you need it. And then you pay, you know, you're going to pay high interest, but the upside is that, you know, hopefully it, that additional runway will get you to a higher ARR, gets you a better valuation on your equity next time around. So it was worth the interest. Okay, I'm going to yeah. stop dealing next yep. week. That is all good stuff. And as I said, next week at this time, we're going to have a whole hour long discussion on this topic. And one of the panelists that's joining us is a venture debt, a source of venture debt where they use IP to, uh, to secure the debt. Uh, now, obviously, you have to be an IP rich company for that to be a, mm -hmm. an option, but I think that's an interesting thing for startups. Yeah, I actually just gave a talk on all the different avenues of startup raising um, not too long ago. But I mean, there's it, it was doing the research. It was it was awesome to see all the different options that were available, you know, to startups now, uh, and especially around the debt conversation. It's not just a bank anymore. Right, right. And it's not always like you need to put your house up, <laughs> you know, or right, right like right. in order in order right. to get it. Um, yeah. some, well, I'm, but, uh, I'm I want to make one I'm one uh, warning to founders: yeah. beware of the personal guarantee. Yeah, please do not ever sign a personal guarantee. Sorry, I had to Espe say that. Especially, especially without checking with your spouse. Yeah, <laughs> especially <laughs> that. Yeah, so I completely agree with Louis that you should. You know, you, you should almost never give a personal guarantee or at least think about it long and hard and talk to Louie about it before you do. Mm -hmm. Right. That the whole the whole reason that you've set up a corporation is to have a separation between the business obligations and your personal obligations. That's the reason yeah. you set up the corporation. OK, so um, I just want to quickly dovetail onto what Danielle said and Louis said earlier, which is that 2022, one of the many reasons why 2022 is the greatest time ever to be an entrepreneur is that there are more sources and structures available of capital than ever before. 
you know, there's lots of different sources and structures. Um, and so the main, main thing is, you know, shop around, you know, understand the different sources and structures and which ones align best with, with you and your venture. Find capital partners who, 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 you know, who are on your side and who you want to, you know, you want to have them on your side for a while because it's, uh, you know, uh, you're going to be married to them. It's probably easier to get rid of your spouse than to get rid of an investor. Um, and so think about that. Right, Louis? Not going there with you, Brett, but <laughs> I, I want to uh, dovetail back to a question you asked because I, I, I didn't get a chance to say the answer. Um, if you're a founder and you're looking at evaluation and it's less than what you'd like, so there's going to be more lick pref on top of you and you're, you're also going to be diluted. You're going to be diluted in any race, right? What, what are some of the things we talked about management carve out, but before we would even go there, you, you hopefully have an equity pool and there's some amount in there, which, which, you know, your existing investors and your new investors will be happy to direct to you, uh, to offset some of the dilution, but there can also be a discussion where you the the new investor says that a condition of their investment is that the pool gets larger and that you get more of that pool, which again is it would be a second bite at the apple. You know, there's the existing pool and the new pool, uh, which you could get uh, some more equity. So these are things that we we spend a lot of time thinking about when we look at cap tables and people ask us about fundraising. You know, the first first or second thing is what about you? Uh, and do you have enough skin in the game? And um, no investor wants to go into a company where the investor, where the founders only have, you know, a de minimis stake. Uh, and, and everybody knows that at some point, you know, you're, you're not going to keep, you're not going to keep uh, burning the candle at all ends for nothing. All right. Well, this has been a terrific conversation. Uh, thank you, Danielle and Louis. So I think the uh, summarize here, um, I think the advice that we've gotten from Daniel and Louis is, first of all, um, be aware that it's a different environment today than it was a year ago um, and accept the fact that you're likely to see term sheets that are different than you would have seen a year ago. Uh, but the good news is that there are lots of different sources and structures of capital available. And so make sure you look at all the different sources and structures. Try to get more than one term sheet. Right, that that's 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 key. It's key when you're buying when you're purchasing anything. It's it's important to get more than you know more than one offer, and then uh, have a good uh, have a good attorney who you can kind of sit down with and go over the various terms of the term sheet. Danielle, anything you want to add to that? Nope, that was that was a really good uh, summary, Brett. Okay, Louis, thumbs up from Louis. <laughs> All right, folks, thank you so much for joining us this morning. You can find me and Danielle and Louie. You can find all three of us on LinkedIn. So please let us know if you have any additional questions. Remember that next week, the same time, we'll be having a discussion with a different partner at Foley and a venture debt investor talking about venture debt and kind of the pros and cons of that. Thanks very much to all for joining. See you all soon. This has been the Fourthly Podcast. If you've liked what you've heard, I'd really appreciate it if you could spare a moment to share and review this show. Your support really makes a difference. You can find out more at fourthly.com. Until next time, I'm Brett Waters. Thanks so much for listening.